uh, would like to pray for Jean to come up. Um, just pray the Lord cover her and the Lord speak, speak through her this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Bex. Could we have the um, Passover song, please? <laughs> Thanks very much. We can bring that down now. If we weren't socially distanced, I'd have you all out in the aisles, you know. <laughs> that is the Mitzrayim Gelatonu, which is a Passover song, and it's a very joyful song. And it's um, along the lines of our theme today, the Passover. Ata Maria Tato, ko Jean Rhodes aho. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jean Rhodes, and I'm stuck firmly in this place. Apologies if you can't see me, but that's the way it is. As I prepared for this passage, this billboard, and I'm juggling all sorts of things here, so, hope, yep, this billboard outside of a synagogue made me smile. <laughs> And I thought about using the clip from the movie, The Ten Commandments, where a great green hand drifts over Egypt showing the angel of death. But when I saw it again on YouTube with Charlton Heston, somehow with the 1950s effects, even though they really were good at the time, it wasn't just quite the same. And besides, in the Hollywood version, Moses' mum, the princess, Wears, uh, comes to join them at the Passover wearing a lot of gold lame. Have you ever been in a situation where something which could have been disastrous has been avoided? A near miss when driving, perhaps. Being caught in a rip, as Richard was one summer when an injured shoulder made it difficult for him to swim. If we'd been on our own, I'd hate to think what could so easily have happened. A good decision made instead of a bad one. Can you recall that feeling of relief and thankfulness when the outcome was good and not bad, when it was life and not death? Many years ago, when our children were little, I was babysitting the youngest son of a friend. The toddlers were all playing happily in our lounge, and I nipped into the kitchen to get something. It took me scarcely a minute to grab what I needed, but when I got back, to my horror, I found an empty bottle on the floor with the lid beside it. I read the label, isopropyl alcohol used for cleaning the heads of tapes. My own children, none of whom were climbers, told me that Peter had climbed to the top of our piano and got hold of the bottle. After a few seconds of pure panic, smelling Peter's breath and trying to question him while he beamed at me, I remembered the poison centre number at the front of the phone book and gave them a call. Nothing to worry about, said the cheery man in Dunedin. 
He may have a bit of a hangover, that's all. I have to add that Peter's mum just laughed when I told her later. She was obviously used to his tricks, but I can still recall that feeling of utter relief when I knew he was all right. That awareness of being delivered from calamity has permeated the psyche and practices of Jewish believers from 1440 BC until this present day. Today, the Pesach, or Passover meal for modern Jews, is called the Seder. And I discovered there's a great deal of activity provided for families to help their children cope with the rituals. You can make little knitted Exodus characters or do activities. You can get the 10 plagues painted on your fingernails. There are recipes and activities for helping kids cope with matzo bread. But in spite of all that, the instructions and rituals for the Seder have remained the same for centuries. This morning we're going to see what this ancient festival involves and what could it possibly mean for us in the 21st century. Suddenly, in the middle of a dramatic recounting of the plagues visited upon Egypt, God issues a set of clear instructions to the Israelites for a meal packed with symbolism. Firstly, they're to change their view of time. Oops, sorry. This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. The repetitive language focuses on the month, the year, and the marking of time, and it tells God's people, this time is for you. To arrive at a promised future, the people must first leave the past. They must leave Egypt. The month of their departure marks the beginning of their future and freedom. And the whole calendar must now find a new fixed point of origin. From now on, God's people, all, for all of time, time originates in, commemorates each year, their release from slavery. As one writer puts it, time for God's people is forevermore freedom time. Secondly, they were to pick out an unblemished male lamb four days before it was to be killed. That was time enough for the family to feel the significance of the lamb's presence. They were to roast it whole, not boiled in the polluted waters of Egypt, and no bones were to be broken in the process. It is to be shared with neighbors if it's too much for one family, because community matters. All of the animal is to be eaten. None of it is to be taken away. Nothing held in reserve, no holding back. God will supply their food from now on. Thirdly, they were to eat the lamb with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. The herbs nowadays are usually horseradish and romaine lettuce. They're a sensory reminder of the bitterness of slavery under Pharaoh, to be tasted chewed, swallowed. The unleavened bread had two purposes. 
The most immediate one was haste. The family couldn't wait around for the yeast to rise. Speed was of the essence. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The Israelites are told to eat in an old version with their loins girded. In other words, their strong central core wrapped with belt and cloak and their feet ready for walking straight out of the house, ready for action. But the unleavened bread also spoke of purity. Yeast was regarded as a corrupting influence on the dough. And God reminds them that they're to be rid of all corruption and evil. In fact, the Passover is also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a time of scrupulous preparation to ensure there's no yeast present in the house. A reminder they're leaving behind the sin and corruption of Egypt. The most potent symbol, which literally overarches the other preparations, is God's instruction to smear the lamb's blood over the lintel and doorposts of each Israelite house. This is their means of protection from the deadly tenth plague. The blood was more than just a marker. It represented a life given. It came at a cost. Trusting in the sacrificial substitute was the only way one could be spared from the justice of God. No blood meant no deliverance. This is how God freed his people from their bondage in Egypt, and therefore this was a distinguishing moment in history that gave Israel its identity as God's people. God's chosen people were to observe this Passover throughout all generations to remember God's salvation forever. Later on in Israelites' history, to help people remember, at four different points of the meal, a glass of wine was drunk. At each of these points, the leader would remind everyone of the four big promises in Exodus 6 that God made to Israel, which Derek talked about last week. I will free you, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, you will be my people. In Exodus 13, it speaks of the consecration of all firstborn males, both human and animal, to the Lord, a reminder again that the firstborn of the Egyptians died as a result of Pharaoh's stubbornness. With the firstborn of all animals included in the plague, the Egyptians were reminded again that their animal gods were also subject to Yahweh. At all Passovers to come, the firstborn son was required to ask the question, what does this ceremony mean to you? Can you imagine how it was for the Israelites? The careful, solemn preparations, the collective holding of breath as the cries arose around them in Pharaoh's city, hardly daring to believe that they might actually be free, knowing that each aspect of this meal was pointing them to a future 
as a new creation by the power of God. What a night and what a meal. Well, now that we know what this means to Jews, does it have any relevance for us, Christians living in Aotearoa? Quite simply, the simple meal of the Lord's Supper or communion holds for us as much significance as the Passover meal did for the Israelites. It was at a Passover celebration in the upper room with his disciples that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And by doing so, he announces the new covenant which the Almighty makes with his people and new victory over sin and death and new freedom from slavery. What does John say about Jesus? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does Paul say about Jesus? You were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus is the Paschal or Passover lamb, sacrifice for our freedom and redemption. He entered Jerusalem four days before the Passover feast, the same length of time the Israelites were to prepare their lamb before killing it. No bone of his would be broken on the cross, as was stipulated for the Passover lamb. He was the firstborn son without any sin or blemish, as was the Passover lamb. As the third point in the meal approached, remember that promise of redemption by God's power, the presider over the meal would get up and bless the inner elements of the meal by explaining their symbolic significance. However, as Jesus gets up to administer this particular portion of the meal, we see him setting out something entirely new. He blesses the elements, but then proceeds to associate their significance with himself rather than with history. Jesus doesn't merely preside over the feast. He portrays himself as the feast. Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We're to receive all of Christ, his yoke, his cross, his crown, not just part of him, nothing to be kept in reserve. In Jesus, a new Passover is here, and the true freedom and deliverance and redemption of God's chosen people comes by way of Jesus' death. In instituting the Lord's Supper, he institutes a new type of Passover that fulfills, not replaces, the old Passover. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, 
but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. We're also called to a new way of life. God favours us with a triumphant love in the person of Jesus the Christ. He unlocks the prison of darkness and shatters the power of death. I will free you. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. You will be my people. As we take the bread and the wine, we remember, we remember that Jesus says to us, you are free. Free from the sins which so easily entangle us. Free from the spiritual death that those sins bring. Free to become new creations in Christ. Even as Israel moved from death to life, so do we move from death to newness of life. God's triumphant love sets us free. The Israelites were set free from slavery and certain death. We are set free from slavery to sin and spiritual death. The Israelites were covered by the Lamb's blood. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus. The Israelites were led out into a new life. We have new life in Christ, right here and now, as well as into eternity. The Israelites had a new identity as God's people. We have a new identity in Christ as God's children, heirs to the kingdom. I will free you. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. You will be my people. Let us thank God for his son Jesus, the Lamb of God who offered himself so that we might go free. What does that freedom mean for you? What has Christ delivered you from? How should you live as a new creation in God? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you this morning for your wonderful love, for your sacrifice, for the gift of yourself. Lord, may this new freedom that you bring us be seen in our lives. Lord, thank you that you have made us your people by what you have done for us on the cross. We are free and we give you thanks. Amen. May the Lord bless you this week, in Jesus' name. Amen. I do ask you now to please make your way out through the side door here exit as we have the next crew who start the service in five minutes. Um, thank you, guys. Do you think we could have that Passover music again, guys?
I quite like this. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> That's a Passover song called Mitzmirayim Gela Tonu, and it's about coming out of Egypt. You have rescued us out of Egypt. Atamarie um, Tato, Kojin Rodesaho. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jean Rhodes. My passage today is from Exodus 12, a story of the Passover. As I prepared for this passage, this billboard outside of a synagogue made me smile. And I, I thought about using the clip from the movie, The Ten Commandments, where a great green hand drifts over the land of Egypt, showing the angel of death. But when I saw it again on YouTube, the sight of Charlton Heston and the 1950s special effects didn't quite do it for me. Besides, in the Hollywood version, Moses' mum, the princess, comes to join them at the Passover meal, wearing lots of gold lame. It just didn't quite fit. Have you ever been in a situation... Oh, I must show you that one. <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation where something which could have been disastrous has been avoided? A near miss when driving, perhaps. Being caught in a rip, as Richard was one summer when an injured shoulder made it difficult for him to swim. If we'd been on our own, I'd hate to think what would have happened. A good decision made instead of a bad one. Can you recall that feeling of relief and thankfulness when the outcome was life and not death? Many years ago, when our children were little, I was babysitting the son of a friend. The toddlers were all playing happily in our lounge when I nipped into the kitchen to get something. It took me scarcely a minute to grab what I needed, but when I got back, I found an empty bottle on the floor with the lid beside it. To my horror, I read the label, isopropyl alcohol for cleaning the heads of tapes. That was back in the day. My own children, none of whom were climbers, told me that Peter had climbed to the top of our piano, had got hold of the bottle. After a few seconds of pure panic, smelling Peter's breath and trying to question him while he beamed at me, I remembered the poison centre number at the front of the phone book and gave them a call. Nothing to worry about, said the cheery man in Dunedin. He may have a bit of a hangover, that's all. I have to add that Peter's mum just laughed when we told her. She was obviously used to his tricks but I can still recall that feeling of utter relief when I knew he was all right. That awareness of being delivered from calamity has permeated the psyche and practices of Jewish believers from 1440 BC until this present day. Today the Pesach, or Passover meal for modern Jews, is called the Seder, and I discovered there's a great deal of activity provided for families to help their children cope with the rituals. 
You can make knitted, little knitted Exodus characters and do activities. You can get the ten plagues painted on your fingernails. There are recipes and activities for helping kids cope with matzo bread. But in spite of all that, the instructions and rituals for the Seder have remained the same for centuries. This morning we're going to see what this ancient festival involves and what could it mean for us. Suddenly, in the middle of a dramatic recounting of the plagues visited upon Egypt, God issues a set of clear instructions to the Israelites for a meal packed with symbolism. Firstly, they are to change their view of time. This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. The repetitive language of verse 2 focuses on the month, the year, and the marking of time. And it tells God's people, this time is for you. To arrive at a promised future, the people must first leave the past. They must leave Egypt. The month of their departure marks the beginning of their future in freedom. The whole calendar must now find a new fixed point of origin and orientation. From now on, for God's people, all of time originates in and commemorates each year their release from slavery. As one writer put it, time for God's people is forevermore freedom time. Secondly, they were to pick out an unblemished male lamb four days before it was to be killed. Time enough for the family to feel the significance of its presence. They were to roast it whole, not boiled in the polluted waters of Egypt. No bones were to be broken in the process. It is to be shared by neighbours if it's too much for one family. Community matters. All of the animal is to be eaten. None of it is to be taken away. Nothing held in reserve. No holding back. God will supply their food from now on. Thirdly, they were to eat the lamb with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. The herbs nowadays are usually horseradish and remain lettuce and are a sensory reminder of the bitterness of Israel's slavery under Pharaoh, to be tasted, chewed, and swallowed. The unleavened bread had two purposes. The most immediate one was haste. The family couldn't wait around for the yeast to rise. Speed was of the essence. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. An old version says they're told to eat with their loins girded. In other words, with their strong central core wrapped with belt and cloak and their feet ready for walking straight out of the house, ready for action. But the unleavened bread also spoke of purity. Yeast was regarded as a corrupting influence on dough, and God reminds them they're to be rid of all corruption and evil. 
In fact, the Passover is also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a time of scrupulous preparation to ensure there's no yeast present at all in the house, a reminder that they're leaving behind the sin and corruption of Egypt. The most potent symbol, which literally overarches the other preparations, is God's instruction to smear the lamb's blood over the lintel and doorposts of each Israelite house. This was to be their means of protection from the deadly tenth plague. The blood was more than just a marker. It represented a life given, providing life for God's people. It came at a cost. Trusting in the sacrificial substitute was the only way to be spared and delivered from the justice of God. No blood meant no deliverance. This is how God freed his people from their bondage, and therefore this was a distinguishing moment in history that gave Israel its identity as God's chosen people. God's people were to remember this through all generations. Later on in Israelite history, to help people remember, at four different points of the meal, a glass of wine was drunk. At each of these points, the leader would remind everyone of the four big promises in Exodus 6 that God made to Israel, contained in these statements, which Derek talked about last week. I will free you. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. You will be my people. In Exodus 13, it speaks of the consecration of all firstborn males, both animal and human, to the Lord. A reminder again that the firstborn of the Egyptians died as a result of Pharaoh's stubbornness. With the firstborn of all animals included in the plague, the Egyptians were reminded that their animal gods were also subject to Yahweh. At all Passovers to come, the firstborn son was required to ask the question, what does this ceremony mean to you? Can you imagine how it was for the Israelites, the careful, solemn preparations, the collective holding of breath as the cries rose around them? in Pharaoh's city, hardly daring to believe they might be free, knowing that each aspect of this meal was pointing them to a future as a new creation. What a night, what a meal. So now we know what this meal means to all Jews. Does it have any relevance for us, Christians living in Aotearoa? Quite simply, the simple meal of the Lord's Supper or Communion holds for us as much significance as the Passover meal did for the Israelites. It was at a Passover celebration in the upper room with his disciples that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and by doing so he announced the new covenant which the Almighty makes with his people. A new victory over sin and death, a new deliverance. What does John say about Jesus? Look, the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. What does Paul say about Jesus? You were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus is the Paschal or Passover lamb, sacrificed for our freedom and redemption. He entered Jerusalem four days before the Passover feast, the same length of time the Israelites were to prepare their lamb before killing it. No bone of his would be broken on the cross, as was stipulated for the Passover lamb. He was the firstborn son without any sin or blemish, as was the Passover lamb. As the third point in the meal approached, remember the promise of redemption by God's power? The presider over the meal would get up and bless the elements of the meal by explaining their symbolic significance. However, as Jesus gets up to administer this portion of the meal, we see him setting out something entirely new. Jesus blesses the elements but then proceeds to associate their significance with himself rather than with history. Jesus doesn't merely preside over the feast, he portrays himself as the feast. Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We are to receive all of Christ, his yoke, his cross, his crown, not just part of him, nothing to be kept in reserve. In Jesus, a new Passover is here, and the true freedom, deliverance, and redemption of God's chosen people comes by way of Jesus' death. He institutes a type of new Passover that fulfills, not replaces, the old Passover. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. We're also called to a new way of life. God favours us with a triumphant love in the person of Jesus the Christ. He unlocks the prison of darkness and shatters the power of death. I will free you. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. You will be my people. As we take communion and taste the bread and the wine, we remember, we remember that Jesus says to us, you are free. Free from the sins which so easily tangle us, free from the spiritual death which those sins bring, free to become new creations in Christ. 
Even as Israel moved from death to life, so we move from death to newness of life. God's triumphant love sets us free. The Israelites were set free from slavery and certain death. We are set free from slavery to sin and spiritual death. The Israelites were led out into a new life. Sorry, the Israelites were covered by the Lamb's blood. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus. The Israelites were led out into a new life. We have new life in Christ, right here and now, as well as into eternity. The Israelites had a new identity as God's people. We have a new identity in Christ as God's children, heirs to the kingdom. I will free you. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. You will be my people. As we think of the Passover, let us thank God for his son Jesus the Lamb of God, who offered himself so that we might go free. What does that freedom mean for you? What has Christ delivered you from? How should you live as a new creation in God? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your gift the gift of yourself for us that we might go free that we might be delivered and set free from all that would entangle us and hold us back from all that brings that spiritual death Lord we have new life in you and we pray that over this coming week you will show us how to live in the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jean. Our time is now drawing to a close. I just want to acknowledge and thank our teams this morning, our music team and our sound team who have uh, uh, doubled what they normally do on a Sunday. So thank you, guys. Really appreciate you. Thank you. So good to see you all this morning. My thanks to Jean for your message that you've brought to us. May that be a real encouragement as we go out into our week. And I want you just to, to really know the love of God this week and be blessed in that knowledge and to find ways to bless those around you and those you encounter this week. God bless every one of you. Hopefully see you next week. Take care.